The story behind the story. In faith, culture, news, and entertainment. This is this is Billy Hallowell. I'm great, Billy. How are you? Yes, it is a fund that we started in 2014 because our daughter Mia was born with a cleft lip and palate. She's 15 now, so she was born in 2003, and when I was diagnosed at 31 weeks gestation, we did not know what this would entail. And so um, I think most people, the awareness of, of cleft lip and palate, sometimes it's just not out there. It's just not correct. And so... Um, just like us, we thought it was one surgery, you fix the way they look, and you're good to go. And that's just not true. It's not really a fixable condition, but it's a manageable condition. It's a long journey. Every child is different, basically because all cleft means is a hole. So there's different size and shapes of holes. And so um, every child is different, grows differently because of genetics also. There's so many factors involved that um, the medical field sometimes will just put all of this into one category. And uh, the awareness is just not out there as much as we want it to be. So one of the functions of the Miyamu Fund is to spread awareness of the cleft lip and palate journey. The other one is to help with medical funds for the parents and the families living right here in America. And we did it because that's who we were. So, you know, we're the ones who didn't know anything when Mia was born. We're the ones who didn't have the fund to choose a specialist. And we had to make the decision, either we choose what's best for our daughter and be in debt for the rest of our life, or we go to the guy down the street that takes our insurance and hope for the best. And, oh, it's, it's, it's a hard and difficult decision. And so we wanted to take some of that burden that we felt off of these parents and um, you know we were blessed we had no idea that Duck Dynasty was coming down the road and that we were going to be able to pay off our debt to all these medical facilities and doctors so many people are not going to be able to do that without help and we want to we want to be able to assist them and letting them choose what's best for their child we don't tell them where to go we don't tell them what to do they go and have these procedures done and then they can apply to the MAMU fund. And so far, we've helped 59 families with over $275,000, and that's in four and a half years. Mia has had nine surgeries, and I don't even know really what the average is because, like I said, every child is different. So when people say, how many more surgeries does she have? I used to say when she was little, I used to say how many because that's what the checklist would say. <laughs> and now I'm like, I have no idea because every year when we go back, even if we haven't had a surgery in a while or we don't expect one in a, for a while, when we go back for our yearly exam with the surgical team, it seems like whatever we're anticipating has completely changed because of the way she's grown or whatever conditions that she's had during or how she's healed from the last one. It's just there's so many factors. And so 
Now I don't even try to predict. And I just say, you know, we just don't know. Until she stops growing about 17 years of age, we just don't know. So, um, and that's what's, that's, that's part of the journey of it is relying on God to get you through it because we have no idea. It is just like we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out along the way, and we're going to trust that God puts us in the right place at the right time and tells us the right information. Well, that was the the wonderful thing about this event that we just had because we can, you know, send the checks. We have a board. Jason and I are only two or four people on the board. And so we make these decisions and we see the pictures and we hear the stories, you know, that are coming our way. But to not really know these families and how they're doing on a day-to-day basis, you know, we don't really know the out, the outcome or the effect we can assume. But this event that we just had at the end of October – it was basically a twofold event. Friday night was poker at the plantation, where we just had um, a poker tournament that benefited the Miamu Fund, and our goal was really to cover the cost of what we were doing the following day. And what we're doing the following day was bringing in. We invited all of the families that we had helped. I think it was 54 at that point, and we knew it was kind of last minute. We only had about 10 weeks out. We said, let's just do this and see what happens. And 22 families came at this last minute, (laughs) and they came, and we were able to meet them. We were able to spend time with them. We invited them to this plantation that Jason and I bought about a year ago, and we just had what we called the Miamu Fun Day, where we had a carnival, we had jumping houses, we had food, we had so many games. We just were able to put our arms around them and play with them and love on them and talk with the parents because, you know, as as a family member of a child with a cleft lip and palate, no one knows what you go through unless you're going. they're going through it themselves. They can give you the sympathy all day long. They can pray for you, which is awesome. But to really be able to look into the eyes of another mom and talk about exactly, she knows exactly what I've been going through and I know exactly what she's been going through. So that whole connection that happened on that Saturday was amazing. We even had an hour share time with just the parents. I had um, one of my good friends, Dr. Jo Neal Kirby, I think you know her, that came in and facilitated a share time to where um, she just started the conversation with the parents, and we had volunteers taking care of the children outside and playing and having story time. And that hour, I think, was the highlight of the parents day because we got to just share our guts like you know this stinks in this area or how about this like can you Matt can you believe having a child with a cleft lip and palate a hundred years ago the technology today is incredible and so and then just the struggles of people not understanding you know really where you are and what what's going on with your child it it was really an awesome day, and then Sunday we invited them to come worship with us, which most of them did, and our church family then just loved on them, fed them brunch that next morning, 
to send them off, and I think that was the best meal we had. We had it catered all weekend, <laughs> and just just the love that my our church family showered upon them. It was an incredible weekend, and so to know back to your question of you know how, how does it feel to know that you've helped these families? We really got a firsthand glimpse of seeing their hearts and their appreciation and their gratitude. We started this. We started this fund, but so many people have contributed to it. It's not just us. So that's where the gratitude lies, is the generous contributions that so many hundreds, thousands of people have made in order to better the lives of American families going through this right now. Yes. Well, um, you know, like I said, we were hoping to cover just the cost of that weekend. We actually made so much more money. We took in $120,000 on that poker at the plantation on Friday night, So, which was, oh, so much more than we thought we could do at such a last minute. So we are hoping and we are planning to make this a yearly event. So, um, you know, I hope everyone, you know, kind of joins in and looks at the MIAMU Fund website, miamu.org, and be watching. Hopefully, by next fall, we'll be able to do this again because, really, it is for these families. This is not about us. We are taken care of. Now we're trying to help other people. So, um, you know, it's, and it's also, like, Jace was really big on this. He said, I don't want to just cut people checks. It's just so much more than that. It's so much more than just even though that does relieve a lot of stress, there's so much more that goes into raising a child with this condition, and it's emotionally draining. So we want to do things to help the parents and to let them know that their child is just as important than a, quote, completely normal, healthy child. And these, these to, to give these parents this hope and kind of validate their feelings that someone knows exactly what they're going through and that we've been given the platform to kind of make other people aware of that, it just, it gives, it really, the hope is what it is. It's, it's given these parents and these children hope.
Yes, yes. Um, well, it, we've we've been in business for about two and a half years, and really about the two-year mark, which was just a few months ago, I just did not see how we could keep going. Um, we were not making any money. Jason and I were we kept putting money into the company, thinking, okay, at some point, it's going to take off. It's going to take off. We're doing a good thing here. We're helping these women. And I finally just said, we just can't do this anymore. And it's almost like it either it flipped a switch in these girls' minds, like, we have got to make this happen. And they call me Miss Missy, you know. <laughs> you know, yes, ma'am, and Miss Missy. I'm like, y'all are adults. You know, quit calling me that. But they're so sweet and respectful, and they wanted to make this happen because they understand they're recipients of this decision that we made in order to help them. And our designer, our office manager, they just got on the ball, and God started opening doors. And within just a few weeks, we had a meeting set up with Cavenders because, you know, here we are in north Louisiana, and Cavenders is in Tyler, Texas. And I was like, we can drive there. That's not bad. So Charlie and I, Charlie's my office manager, we drove over there and met with Cavenders, and it was just like, it was like, where has this been? Because it was such a natural fit for for each other, actually. And so that was the the first big turnaround, was God blessed us with a huge account. And, you know, we're in boutiques all across the country, um, but we wanted to make sure that we honored the boutique line as well. And so Cavenders, we became an, they have their own exclusive line. Then this happened with Lifeway. Lifeway, the same thing. So those two huge things was like, okay, okay, God, <laughs> my plans, again, are not yours. You know, we can do what we can do with the information that we have. But when we pray and say, God, this is up to you. You take this or you close the door. I'm putting this in your hands. And he opened all of these doors. And it was amazing to watch the women get so excited about this. One of the women designs every single piece. She does not have a degree. She does not have any kind of a background in this. But she has a talent. She has a skill. And to be able to watch her use that skill and that talent and then get excited about it, to research, smart. I mean, she's going on trends. She's going on supplies. She's going on whatever products are out there that are hitting the mark, and then she's designing them to where it looks like a laminin line. She's doing an amazing job. And so all of these women have found a niche where they feel like they are valued, where they can serve a purpose, and that's because a lot of them have never been told that before in their lives. They have been told, you're not going to be worth anything, you're not valuable to me or anyone else. And to now find a place where they are, like you said, yes, almost all of them, I would say over 90, 95% of the women who walk in and out of our doors have been in jail or prison. And most of that is due to drugs. So for them to be able to check that box, have you been convicted of a felony? And they say yes and not have to hide that or be ashamed. They say yes. And we do not, we don't even take that box into consideration. We interview them, and if they, we feel like they are right for the job, we don't care what that box is. And that's been a lot of it, them saying, my past does not have to define me. I'm trying to better myself. I'm putting my faith in God. I'm trying to turn my life around where I can take care of myself and my children. And Laminin has been that place. And so it is a second chance.
right. Yes, it has changed everything for a lot of these women. And look, not every woman who walks through the door becomes a success story. The pull to that lifestyle is so strong. And there's so many different things than just being on drugs. It's the manipulation that they've learned to do in order to get those drugs. It is, you know, the men that they've had in their lives for so long that they just don't know how to get out of. It is it is a it is part of them trying to change their lives. Laminin cannot fix that, but we're able to help the ones who want to help themselves. And so a lot of it, um, Charlie, again, is my office manager, and she's one of these women. She's one of these women, and yet she is there counseling them and running the business as well. And so, you know, I think that that, that is an intricate part of what's going on there is that all of those women know what's going on because they've been there. They understand the manipulation effect. They understand that these women do not feel valued because they were in that same spot. And so the struggle is there, but they can all be able to, to talk with each other and encourage each other and kind of give a safe haven to each other. So that's another great aspect of it. Oh, it was it's incredible just for the women to see that. They knew like we're about to shut our doors. And now look what God has done. And, and you know, so they they understand all of that and they're appreciative of that, which is amazing. gosh, that's a tricky question. <laughs> you know, um, it's so crazy because I I would say, and I can't believe I'm saying this out loud, because this is one of the things that drove me crazy about it was, but, but the scheduling part of having to be home and having to know that we're filming today or filming tomorrow, whatever, um, that was a consistency in our lives for over five years, and that consistency is gone. And so, I, it's so funny because that's one of the things that drove me crazy when we filmed was the inconsistency of life because before that, our days looked exactly the same. You know, we would both get up, take the kids to school. We would both go to work, come home, do homework, eat dinner, play a game or watch a TV show, and the kids would go to bed. That was our day every single day. Yes, yes, that was, and that's what I counted on. I was secure in that fact. And so that, then all of a sudden, Duck Dynasty came along, and every day was different, and I thought, I'm going to lose my mind, I'm going to lose my mind, because, you know, we don't have a nanny, we don't have a housekeeper. I wanted to be there with my kids. I wanted to be able to pick them up from school every day. I wanted to be able to do homework with them, all of that, and all of that was shot, because I didn't know what the next day was holding. 
So I had to ask my parents for help. I had to ask others for help. We still don't have a nanny, but I still had to ask other people to help me, which I'm not good at doing. And so now that all of that is over, I feel like we even have less control over our lives because every single day is different at our house. And, you know, our boys are grown up and they're gone. And so it just seems like, um, you know, I don't know, life goes in stages, but right now, it just seems this stage, I have no idea what's coming our way. So it's a lot of dependence on God to, to, keep me, to keep me calm and not freak out because I'm a planner, and it's hard for me to give up that control. Yes, well, we couldn't go anywhere. You know, we couldn't leave during the week because we had to film. And so that's that's a deal, too. What I do, what I, whatever, the other thing I do miss, too, is um, we don't spend as much time together as a large family that we did when we were filming. We saw each other every day. Every day we filmed. And so we were seeing other aspects of our family, cousins and aunts and uncles and, you know, in-laws and all of that. And so when we just had Thanksgiving dinner together, it was it was kind of crazy because there's so many of us, but we missed that time together of just hanging out around the table and talking and laughing and catching up. So that I do miss that. Yeah. Well, they're consistent um, in the fact that there is always a lot of food. <laughs> so, and it's all homemade. I mean, nobody's bringing anything, you know, from the grocery store pre-made. So, uh, it is amazing array of food, and we all have our favorite things. So, when we get together, um, we all know we're going to have seafood of some sort. We have fried Cajun turkeys that one of um, Jason and them's cousins do for us every year, which it takes three, three turkeys to fry to feed our family. Only three, yeah. But we have, you know, homemade uh, corn casserole, homemade sweet potato casserole, homemade twice-baked potatoes. I mean, it is just vegetables and breads and homemade desserts. And it's just really ridiculous when you think about it how much food there is. Uh-huh. Everybody is together on the Wednesday night before Thanksgiving. Everybody. Everybody is together. And then, well, it's kind of gone. It was always at Phil and Kay's. And then um, during the show, it kind of overwhelmed Kay a little bit because there's just, she was, they're getting older. And so just the dishes and the cleanup. And her house is not very big. I know you can't really see that on the show, huh? But her house is not that big. And so everybody crammed in there um, is, that's a lot of us. It's more than what the show, what the show showed. Um, there's a lot more family members. And so um, we moved it to Willie and Corey's for a couple of years, but now we did it at Jeff and Jessica's house, the house that they own here in, right down the street, which was great. So we're all here together on the same, most of us on the same street. So that's easy. And then, then Christmas night is when we do that again together, and that's that's always at Phil and Kay's house. It's just a tradition, and nobody wants to do that anywhere else than Memo Kay's on Christmas night. Well, we have our gag gift tradition. So Kay 
does her gag gifts. And honestly, sometimes the gifts are so stupid, they're not even funny. But the way that she presents them is the funniest thing ever. She's her own show, you know. So, and they don't even make sense half the time to us, but the way she presents them, we're all really rolling on the floor laughing, belly laughter, because she's just so cute and funny. So that's that's a big tradition that she started a few years ago was the gag gifts. She buys them all. She buys them, every single one of them. And so if you're lucky enough to be one of the chosen that year to get one of her gag gifts, oh, you're like, you know, you're the crowned prince or whatever. So because they're pretty hilarious. <laughs> Great. Yes, thank you so much, Billy. Thanks for listening to the Billy Hallowell Podcast. Visit Billy on Facebook or Twitter at Billy Hallowell for more on faith, culture, entertainment, and plenty more.